Oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Who's calling me from Kalamazoo, Missouri? Seriously. Shut up and sit down. This whole gravel thing has taken off. It's such a disruptive trend. Changed the cycling world as we know. You are listening to the Dialed Podcast with Matt Lee Grand, Evan Price, Lance Hepler, and Jake Von Turing. Always remember that you are one ride away from a good mood. Enjoy episode 114. Take away all the weird social discomfort that comes with trying to figure out if you're wearing the right thing or if you look right for the bike that you're riding, more people become interested in riding bikes again. <laughs> Who the fuck? What are those? These are pants. Pants! Pants! Why don't we have pants? Pants! Hi, and welcome back to the Dial Podcast. I'm Jake Vondering, and I'm here with Matt Legrand. What's up, ladies and gentlemen of the internet? I am coming to you from the internet. The internet? You sound like you're on the internet. A little Max yep. Headroom kind of thing going yep. on? Nice. Yep. <laughs> also coming to us over the internet and airwaves and cellular stuff. Lance, are you still there? Lance Hepler? Lance? Yes, I am. Lance Hepler. Sir Lancelot the Stupid coming to you from Prineville, Oregon. I'm parked outside the... Tightwad discount building supply at the moment. <laughs> mask on, pants off? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it only said masks are required. It didn't say pants are required. That is a good point. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let's do some backpedaling, boys. Who wants to start? You guys want to Rochambeau for it? Lance guys- has probably got um, more winters win. than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. I spent this last week uh, in, uh, in Utah and Idaho and um, uh, went down to St. George with my college buddies for our draft weekend and had a great time down there with my college buddies, did some boating and rode my mountain bike and my gravel bike and my road bike and uh, had a good time um, out there. Uh, went to my nephew's wedding in uh, Utah, which was also a good time. It was quite hilarious. He was uh, dancing um, on the floor. My, my nephew is like six three and like 280 pounds. He's this uh, former offensive lineman for Utah State. He dropped down and did the splits on the dance floor Oof. because he can do that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, immediately split his pants out from belt <laughs> to belt. <laughs> from back bell loop to front bell it was hilarious and it was the best part of the whole wedding and um, so we his wife was mortified and we all laughed and it was it was pretty funny anyway so now uh we're on our way home we stopped in sun valley idaho for a couple of days um just to ride the beautiful gravel roads there and now we're trying to make it home which is why i'm sitting in the Prineville, Tightwad, Discount, Bowling Supply, Parking Lot, uh, talking to you good folks. Lance, they, they do know me there. I mean, if you want to ask around, you'll <laughs> you'll surely get a positive response. <laughs> should I ask, hey, do you know Matt Legrand? You should Former be careful. State, Alabama champion. <laughs> you should be careful of any uh, any people firing guns in your area. So uh, That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> cool. Hey, Matt, what you been up to? I am seven days into the dialed 100. Is that what it's called? The yeah. Dialed 100. Dialed 100. Yep. Because today is Wednesday, and uh, the event started on Wednesday. I mean, I have a couple extra days from before that, but uh, the days that are important are in. I actually had one ride where I was um, riding uh, Camus cross country at, at practice, like, uh, and because I was like starting and stopping so many, so much, the, the um, the whole thing basically only ended up adding only up to like 54 minutes or something. So I had to go back and back home and hop on Watopia. Hey, there you go. Following the rules. I like it. Yeah. One of my watches counted as a hundred, like an hour 10 and the other one counted as 54. And I was like, that's all right. I'll just, I'll get some Watopia time in there. Yeah. Cool. Anything else fun going on in your world? 
anyone that wants to come swim with me in Fallen Leaf Lake tomorrow, it's going to be awesome. Even if it's cold and rainy and gross, it's going to be amazing. You guys should come down there and check it out. Is it really supposed and to rain tomorrow? I don't, I don't think it's really going to rain. It's just not going to be like the sunniest, warmest day that we've ever had. Gotcha. But um, yeah, so we've got the lake kind of squared away for um, tomorrow. And, and so if anyone wants to come out there, come Sweet. on out. That ought to be fun. Hopefully the folks uh, listen to this. I think we're recording this a little bit later than normal. It's going to come it out is. a little bit later than normal, but all all things said, it'll be out on the day that it's supposed to be out when the, the streak remains. So, yes. Hopefully. Three years. <laughs> I think Barring it's like three years, isn't it? Uh, it's over three years now, Matt. Yeah. yeah 183. Three years. This, that's what we're on right now. 183. Who like I remember we sat down, we did like five. I'm like, my God, five's a lot. And here we are at 183. Yeah. Crazy. Um do you want me to backpedal or do you guys? Yep. Did we even we want you to backpedal. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, last week on Wednesday, which would have been day one of the Dialed 100, which I am actively involved with as well, just like Mr. Matt Legrand. Um, but last Wednesday was ride number 365. So wow. myself and Sean Martin completed one full year of riding every single day for at least one hour. And uh, that, was, that was kind of fun. It was kind of neat because I did go out for a ride with Sean and Nels. His son came along with us and it's just a, a nice little gravel ride. We went out and hit the dike and did some stuff back in Lackamas Park and it was beautiful out and it was pretty cool. And uh, one of those days I saw you like biking through like kind of that heritage trail park area uh, down by the boat ramp and I yelled that you guys are honked at you guys or something. That was probably like last Monday, yeah, maybe Monday on Monday. I don't maybe. know what you're, yeah. yeah, it, uh, there, you get honked at a lot and yelled at a lot. So I just yeah. kind of tune it out a little bit. I never know if it's good or bad. So bad. Yeah. Bad. It's always bad. Yep. And we had another fantastic flogging ride. That was a, a fun one. It was another hard one. So it was uh, a good workout and it'll be fun to have Lance back hopefully this week to do a little flogging with us. And then I didn't race this week, and I did get all my rides in, but I almost raced. I was so close to racing at the um, the regional championship crit race, but I had that thing floating around in the back of my head, like, if you go down, you're screwed. And as I'm watching yeah. the races, it's all looking good. The course is good, and everybody's ranting and raving about how much fun it is, and I brought all my stuff with me. I had my kit, my numbers, my head, everything. I just needed to walk over to registration, which was a good 30 feet away from me. I could have gone over there at any point in time. And I was looking at the different races that I could have gone in. There was the uh, the Master 1-2-3s, and I was looking at that and like, oh, those are a lot of the guys that I used to race with. That'd be a lot of fun. And the field size was a little bit smaller. I think they only had like 23 or 24 people. And then um, the other one was the Cat 3s, which is much bigger field. Um, the Masters, I would have had nobody from our team racing there. And then the uh, the Cat 3s had Mike Guyvan and Chris Surratt in there. And it was a little bit later, which was going to buy me a touch more time. And I was actually a little bit busy because I was out there providing all of the uh, wrenching and, and wheel support out there for all of the racers, which was kind of fun. And I was so close. I was watching a race, and I'm like, all right, this is the race where I need to make up my mind, and I'm taking pictures as well and, and watching the, the Masters race go around, which was the 50-plus um, and 60-plus. And at the very end of that, on the last corner, our teammate, Ian Gibson, came around the corner, and he th thinks he clipped a pedal, came into that pedal, or came into that corner oh. a little hot, and uh, basically lost it and went down on his shoulder really hard, separated his shoulder, tore up his kit, just oh. road rashed, his bike was all mangled up um he was pretty hurt so the second i saw that and i ran over to help him and his shoulders hanging down and you he just had this look of like what the hell just happened to me on his face and i <laughs> immediately said nope not gonna race today um i just oh. yeah it was just that was like the last thing that i wanted to see and uh after the fact i talked with chris Rat and he's like yeah it's probably a good thing you didn't race with us in that one he's like it was a little sketchy and it was um a lot of stuff that you wouldn't have liked at all he's like as a matter of fact i was a little nervous in there so that was good and then i proceeded to do my thing. I was out there wrenching and it was helping people out. And it was the very last race of the day. It had got everybody's bikes fixed. Everybody was out there racing. It was the pro one, two field. And there was, I think five crashes in that one. So that was just, Oh uh, boy. <laughs> that was just another reason not oh. to, to go on out there. Um, crit racing is so my thing. I'm built for that. That that's, that's my jam. If there was no such thing as crashing and getting hurt, I would be out there doing it in an instant. But, um, I just, 
I I don't know. I guess I'm a big wussy or something like that. But if I did go down, my shoulder would be so screwed. It's not even funny. So anyway, it was fun watching that. It was great to uh, see a lot of our teammates out there. Again, Pacific Office Automation, one of the other local teams here, put that race on. And they did an absolutely fantastic job um, working in conjunction with USA Cycling and uh, WSBA, which is the Washington State Bicycle Racing Association. It was awesome. Lots of money given out, lots of premiums, lots of cash prizes and all other fun stuff. And everybody seemed to have a good day on the whole. So that was fun. I'm so glad that POA was able to uh, put that race together and get it on the calendar. And I was super bummed to miss it, but so happy that they actually pulled it off. I'm just just proud of them for making it happen. That was a lot of work by Travis and David. They did a fantastic job though of uh, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and making it happen. I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped for them and we've gotten to know each other really well over the last uh, about year now and it's uh, it's been really cool watching them and getting to know them and we've been sharing stuff and working together so that's going to be a fun partnership with those guys in the years to come. Yeah. Looking forward to it. It seems like that group is just such a fantastic team like it's it's interesting to you know because I, I do feel like there's like a rivalry there but like they're such good people it seems like they're such good quality like individuals as part of that group like nothing but respect for that group and man i think there's going to be a lot of cool kind of like partnerships between those two teams going forward absolutely it's we the more we talk the more we want to work together hey having a good healthy rivalry is is good for racing that's i mean being able being having another group that you're really close with and you can and work well with, but then you get on the race course and just want to beat the snot out of each other. That's, that's healthy. That's fantastic. It just makes all bike racing better. I'm, I'm super happy to train with those guys and do these flogging rides with these guys and then go out and try to crush each other in races. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yep. Love it. Cool. All right, let's move on. Um, we're not going to do all the other stuff this week because it's, uh, it's still summertime. We're still keeping these things short and sweet, and it's uh, getting a little late um, on the day that we need to get this thing posted up, so we want to get it wrapped up. So we're going to get to the point, as I'm sitting here rambling on, and this week we're going to talk about gravel racing and whether or not there needs to be rules and sanctioning for gravel racing. I'm really curious to hear what you guys have to say about this, and we talked a little bit about this before the start of the podcast Um talking a little bit about some things that have happened in some recent races and, and Lance can uh, give us a little bit more in-depth detail on what happened at a recent race with uh, a female racer getting support from some male racer friends and that's just kind of stoked the fire a little bit about gravel racing and whether or not it needs to have more rules so Lance why don't you tell us a little bit more about what happened yeah so a little bit of controversy that happened here at Steamboat Gravel which was two weekends ago in Steamboat Colorado um what, what basically happened was there was um, Lauren DiCrescenzo. She won the women's race. And let me be clear that she did not break any rules. She, uh, she didn't break anything, any rules that they had set out beforehand or whatnot. But uh, Lauren DiCrescenzo races for Tom Danielson's, uh, what's the name of the team? It's called Finch or something like that. I think it's Finch. And... Uh, what she did, what what Tom Danielson did as a as a team director, is he had a it wasn't a bunch of male teammates. It was one particular male teammate who basically acted like her domestique for the entire race. He stayed with her. He blocked wind for her. He passed bottles to her so she didn't have to stop at aid stations. And he basically helped shepherd her along. And it ultimately, she is a very strong racer, um, but it ultimately led to her being able to win the race because the rest of the women's field who would have been in the mix for that race, like like uh, Allison Petrick and Sarah Sturm and Casey Armstrong, and there, and there was all these, um, yeah, Starla Tenegreen, there were all these other uh, racers that had to stop at aid stations to refill their bottles because they didn't have a guy passing them bottles. And so it, it kind of created this uproar like, okay, wait, do we need to have this rule in gravel racing? Are, you know, kind of the beauty of gravel is there aren't really rules, but now as it's getting bigger and bigger, is this something that we really should be concerned about or whatnot? Uh, Tom Danielson already has kind of a bad reputation because he, you know, left his, 
his uh, his uh, racing career in uh, kind of shame because of a doping um, because of doping, and so now he's started this team and he's using these tactics. He's using these road tactics in in gravel, which we really haven't quite seen yet, and so it kind of stirred things up a little bit. It kind of made it worse because Peter Stetna, who has been crushing the gravel scene in uh, all over the U.S. and North America this year, he is having his own race um, in a couple weeks. And one of the things he said, and it's kind of women-focused. His race is women-focused. There are men that are going to be in the race as well. But he said, do we need to make a rule that says um, no women can have like male teammates to help shepherd them around the course. I mean, if it happens organically, that's one thing. But if, if there's somebody is assigned, if you have a teammate assigned to you to follow you around and help block the wind, is that really fair? And he wasn't sure if he should do that or not. And so it kind of created this controversy. Yeah, that's, um, that's really tough. I mean, it's not in the rule box, but it's definitely like, you know, it's against the spirit of the rules or not rules, but I guess just the, the racing in general. I mean, that's, that's not what everybody else is doing. So what do you think, Matt? You know, so yeah, I think that she didn't break any rules. She won the race. That's it. Like those are the, the lines in the sand. However, all of that being said, we establish rules to make the level playing field. And new rules need to be established for that particular race, and that's up to that particular race director to make that happen, so that people know you go to this race and you'll have a level playing field to be able right. to compete for whatever it is. Now that's different because one, I think one of our original questions is like, do we need sanctioned races? You know, do we need established, do we need to establish rules for gravel right? Well, hell yes, we need rules. Like, I bet you there are rules. Like, can you win a gravel bike race on an electric bike, motorcycle? Like, no. No. There, there's some rule in there somewhere that says you can't do that, right? So there are rules. We just need to refine those rules to make it a little bit more of a fair playing field for sure. I don't think that that means that it needs to be sanctioned. Sanctioned is something very different where we're starting to talk about, like, bringing in a governing body to establish rules across multiple races, paying certain fees for these races to be sanctioned uh, or for only members to be able to do these races. And that's where I think that um, that we're kind of crossing over that like piece where, hey, gravel is great because it, it isn't, you know, the same as. Uh, road racing. It's not a world tour kind of situation. Like you don't have to be sanctioned. You don't have to have all of these rules. Let's stick with the rules that make the race fair. Like don't get, you know, a governing body with 13 layers thick of different rulemaking and people on committees to make decisions. I think gravel can thread that fine line between like not being sanctioned and still having rules to keep things fair. I don't, I don't see that as being like contradictory. You know, you know, what's interesting is, um, we, we don't really have, um, we don't have like big road races in America. The tour of Colorado isn't there anymore. The tour of Utah folded, the tour of California isn't happening. And so the, the biggest races in America this year, if you're not crit racing is these gravel races, they're getting all the press. This is when all the, this is where all the, journalists are going to they're going to these big races they're going to unbound they're going to you know all these big races and so they're getting all this attention you know in the yeah. in the same just like what matt said it's not it's not sanctioned by usa cycling we don't have any governing body with it and, and that's kind of the beauty of it there's a different feel at these gravel races but yeah there's like you're five dealing races, with right? the gravel races no there's been like a there's been a gravel well, race every weekend. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, just thinking there's like, like the big the big like, events are like 
Unbound, obviously, I think is the biggest, I think, in my opinion. You've got like uh, Crusher and the Tusher. Is that the name of the other one yeah. that's big? You've got Leadville, yeah. I think, but that might be not that's falling. Bike. That's a mountain bike race. Steamboat, though, this yeah. next day. Steamboat. There's four no. different Belgian waffle rides, if I'm not mistaken. Now. Is that Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, there were I, a couple of new races this year. Yeah. If some of those race directors well, got together and were like, hey, what are, what are the rules going to be? We need to establish something so that you can't just domestique some girl to the, you know, to victory. Then or or maybe that's part of the things that people find interesting. Like, no, that's that's going to be fun to see what people, you know, how people do deal with this strategy. I don't know what the answer is, but it needs to be the same and established so that everyone knows what they're getting into when they start the race. Yeah. You know what's interesting at, at at Steamboat Gravel when when the separation happened when Lauren DiCrescenzo took a bottle from her teammate and skipped an aid station that was that was the point where she broke away from the other contenders the five or six contenders who all stopped at an aid station and but the contenders the rest of the contenders it kind of turned into this beautiful situation because the rest of them just kind of went. Well, f this. That didn't seem fair. She, you know, but yeah. there aren't really rules. So the rest of those contenders all rode together for the rest of the race and crossed the finish line all together. Like, hey, okay, let let Lauren have this race if that's what she's going to do. But the rest of us, we are going to just stick together through the rest of this race, and and it, it ended up being a beautiful moment for the rest of those people, even though. That's it was like, kind of crappy the way it went yeah, down. Yeah, that's almost like just a mild way of protesting. I mean, they're they're just yeah. not making the race a race. They're just like, all right, if you're going to not treat it like a race, neither are we. Or you're going to cheat, rather. Well, not cheating, but it's because it's not cheating. It's just, it's against the right. spirit of the race. But this is, right. I mean, the thing is, it's, it's made news. I guarantee you next year, when we, if, if we bring it up on the podcast, there there will be some sort of established rule. It may be like a line item, and it might just be like, you know, you can't get assistance, you know, no, whatever it is, whatever yeah. the line item is. Yeah. But like, I guarantee you there'll be something in there and their point will have been made. Right. Like yeah. they've already established enough, you know, media news and discussion around the issue. Like we're talking about it. So they've they've done what they got, you know, set out to do. Yeah. Now, there are unwritten rules to gravel. I don't know if you're familiar with them or if you know what they are. Um, Lance, are you familiar with the, uh, the unwritten rules? Um, yeah, you have to wear a flannel shirt. You have to wear jorts <laughs> when you're <laughs> handlebar <reaching>. mustache. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have some so, kind of facial hair. There you are, have have those, I feel like you have to have one of those front bags on your bike. Yeah. Those things are yeah, actually pretty nifty. Bag. I've had one on my bike now for a couple of weeks and they're actually pretty, pretty nifty. <laughs> yeah. You have to have them. Yeah. Um, it. So let's go through these real quick. I'm just going to read them through you guys and just tell me what you think. Um, rule number one is don't be lame. That is rule number one. So, yes. um, you know, and it really covers a lot of grounds. It's like don't yell at volunteers, don't cut the course, no cursing out competitors or officials, um, you know, hiding feedbacks on course is lame, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's what they're saying is don't be lame. I, I That's fine with me. Do you guys have any problem with that? Is no. this kind of like the, like, the unwritten rules of cycling, the right? or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, no, I just think that these are what they've all kind of like, you know, collectively established as like, hey, just don't okay. do this stuff. It's not like written on a piece of paper, but don't don't do this. Um, the rule number two is they're what they're calling the ticket to sell, which basically is them reserving the right to refuse participation to anyone if they deem your past behavior as being lame. Okay. So if you yeah. do do stupid stuff in the past and they don't want you to be a part of an event, they they reserve the right to say sorry, Charlie. Uh, rule number three: wear a helmet. That's pretty straightforward. Rule yeah. number rule number four is don't litter. Again, pretty straightforward, especially for all yeah. those uh, beautiful countrysides that we want to keep pristine. Um, rule number five is plan your voyage. So whichever event you choose, it's your responsibility to be prepared and have a plan in case you need to abandon ship um, prior to the start or prior to finishing the, the race itself. So um, I think that's smart. I mean, that's just common sense, but that's a good rule. Any any problems with that one, boys? No, yeah. <laughs> uh -uh. Rule number six is uh, check the checkpoint. And by that, they mean make sure at each checkpoint your number has been acknowledged and recorded by the volunteers so that they can keep tabs of everybody on course. 
Um, number yep. seven is have lights. Uh, that's pretty straightforward, but on your bike, have a light at all times. Front uh, and rear is um, actually they're saying that the rear is mandatory and it may still be dark at the start and possibly at the finish. So it's good to have this with you. Rule number eight is make sure you encourage others and help others in need, have fun and um, hug people, <laughs> hug your gravel family is what they're saying. So um, <laughs> I don't, are we allowed to hug people right now, guys? I, I don't know. No. No, no hugs. <laughs> Fist bumps, elbow bumps, whatever it is, only. And then rule number nine, it, it almost looks like this one has been recently updated, and it says no outside support. But let's dig into this a little bit more to see if they're specifically or if they're going to specifically talk to us about people within the race. So it says um, no, do, 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 no friends or family on course, uh, no caching supplies, um, no pre-range support from other riders. So that kind of smells a little bit like uh, this might have been updated and, and added since this all happened. Uh, it says once you leave the start, Maybe. yeah, once you leave the start, consider yourself on a self-supported solo endeavor. You can resupply along your journey at mandatory checkpoints. Um, they supply waters and snacks and things of that nature. Um, optional um, oasis, uh, they'll supply water and snacks as well. And small town retail stores purchase whatever you desire. There are no drop bags. Uh, this is one thing, or this one is on you. Let's see here, what else are they saying? Riders will navigate via cue sheets and or GPS. The course will not be marked. You are responsible for your navigation. Once riders leave the start and, or, and finish, you are on, why is it saying that? Once riders leave the start finish, I guess they're starting and finishing the same spot. You are on your own. You cannot receive outside assistance except for the following. Gravel World's checkpoints and Oasis locations stocked with water and snacks. Uh, small town stores with items you can purchase yourself. Pre-approved gravel angels must be pre-approved by event promoters and offer assistance to all riders. Uh, fellow um, participants, um, but this must not be pre-arranged prior to the start of the event. No domestiques. That's in like capital letters. Um, that kind of smells a little bit like what we're talking about here. Checkpoints are mandatory yeah. stops for all riders. Checkpoints will be staffed by volunteers who will give you um, a token that you must carry to the finish. Uh, Oasis locations are optional stops that you can refill bottles and get snacks. And the last part of this is if you have specific nutritional needs, carry your supplies for the day. So that's put on by Gravel Worlds. That's their unwritten rules. And that last part really feels like it's been recently updated. Um, Thoughts on all that stuff? I think a lot of people uh, expect like big races to have, you know, detailed course maps and turns and signage and things like that, but they don't. Like, here's the thing: like, you you do Unbound, which is probably one of the biggest you know gravel races in the U.S. You're supposed to have basically the the maps and the information downloaded to your Garmin. You're supposed to be able to know the course and be able to navigate it yourself. I, I think however, that, that, however, uh, it, um, just the unbound, you have to have, you have to have a support crew at unbound. That's different than what happens at gravel, um, world gravel rules. You can't have any support crew at unbound. You have to have your own support crew, but anyway, interesting. Yeah. I think that again, it comes down to, you know, each particular race director establishing the rules and maybe this like you cannot have a domestique needs to be added to most of the race directors, you know, maybe, I mean, each race director can make their own call on the rules, but if it's in there, it would have been really easy for them to be like, yeah, she's disqualified. And then, you know, that was cute that that group came across the line together, but they should have realized that she was going to be disqualified. Guess, uh, guess, guess who won the women's, uh, gravel world. Who's that? Lauren DiCrescenzo, the same one who we're talking about who had the issue yeah. the week before. At uh, Yeah. She still won Gravel World. So I don't know if she had the domestique or not in that race, but that's interesting. Hmm. But if those are unwritten rules, then they're not real rules. So right, they need to be written down and they need to be like posted. So, Or basically, it needs to be part of the pre-race instructions, right? Where it's like, here are the rules. Right. If you don't read them, it's your own fault, right? But, like, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's, like, that one line written down somewhere could have been, like, they could have taken it to the race director and he could have been, like, yep, she's disqualified. You know, sorry. Yeah. But, you know, let this be a lesson to everyone. Like, 
read the instructions, read the race instructions with the rules. Yeah. So going back to not needing a sanctioning body, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think we need to have more layers of complexity there. But do you think that there is some sort of, uh, I don't know, kind of like a meeting of the minds or like some sort of coalition or a commission or just group of people that can come together? Maybe it's like appointed by all of the different race promoters and like the community at large and they'll just put people in there and they can talk about issues that are coming up and maybe come up with like kind of like a gravel constitution it doesn't have to be like a huge sanctioning body that's going to require all kinds of you know funds and and things like that to to really just again make things more complex than they need to be but do you think something like that some sort of like board of directors a commission or something along those lines to help shape and mold what gravel is and what the rules should be without it losing its its uh I don't know, it's special touch. I mean, it it's it's a it's a cool thing because it doesn't have the rules, it doesn't have the sanctioning body. You just show up and race and everybody is out there to have fun. And a lot of times it's not a, a thing where everybody's showing up to race it. You know, the point of the race is like the the tip of the race is, but a lot of the people it's just to finish the race. I mean, that's a challenge in yeah. its own right. So but back to my original point is do you guys think that there should be some sort of group of people that could be in place to kind of address things like this when they come up? I don't I, I don't know. think we I don't I don't think we can avoid it. Actually, I think it, if something's going to have to happen, there's there's too much money on the line. There's yeah. sponsorship money. There's race money. There's all these privateers and pro quote unquote pro gravel racers who are showing up, you know, uh, and being supported by different sponsors. There's too much money on the line. It's going to end up get regulated. You know, uh, there's two pieces to that. As much as I say, like, no, 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 like, let it stay true to it. You know, sanctioning it is going to ruin gravel, you know. Uh, I I mean, all the cyclocross races are pretty much sanctioned, right? And mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it's ruined. I don't think it's ruined cyclocross. So, I don't know. I, I still true. think that maybe they should hold off. My, You know, we're going to run into this issue of, like, drugs and sport, and that really does lend itself to things being sanctioned. I think the first intermediate in, intermediate step would be like you take some of the big races, uh, like your unbound. You take the couple of race directors that we're talking about, and you just say like, "Hey, here's some of the unwritten rules. Let's move those into written rules that get established across these five, ten races. And if people want to use those guidelines, then great. And if not," that's fine too. Like you, you do you as a race director. And I mean, even if the races are sanctioned, they could still choose to not sanction their race. Uh, again, I think that when, I think the time for that is more along the lines of when you start to see like drugs in sport, which of course we could already be seeing, but not necessarily issues like this where we have like a domestic issue. Would it be detrimental to gravel racing if USA cycling and the UCI were to take over? Well, whew. I think Lance's opinion is like, it's just going to happen. That's my opinion. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably accurate. Now here locally, I'm sorry, here locally though, um, OBRA, the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association, they sanction races and they're handing out points and they're, you know, officiating them and they're making you abide by their, their rules and regulations as well. And they're doing a good job on drug testing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of other things too, but anyway, I digress. Um, but go ahead, Lance. You were going to say something. No, I, I just I think it's inevitable. I think uh, there's going to be it, something's going to take on. So you don't think the the community, the the gravel community, and the the promoters who are putting on these races can't come up with something different so that it can keep its uh, its heart and its soul. I I think I think the driving force behind it again is going to be money because because there's money on the line and because there's no governing body, people are going to cheat. Somebody's going to cheat. Somebody's on drugs. <laughs> Somebody's oh. on something. Nobody's being tested in, in the gravel world. People are doing, you know, uh, it, it, some, something's going to happen. So I, I don't think it's avoidable. How, how many of us think that like the gravel race scene is clean? that no one has cheated in gravel racing as far as drugs go. Anybody? Oh, 100% Bueller. not clean. <laughs> Somebody's cheating. No. Yeah, there's definitely people cheating Some, in there. I'd somebody's love, cheating. Yeah. yeah. 
they yeah you got to go get those guys and gals to start peeing in cups or something but yeah that that definitely happened that's basically anytime you start to bring in drug testing i think that's when it's like it's easier for sanctioned organizations to do that because they already have established contractors with like drug testing organizations and they they know how to do out of basically out of competition drug testing all of that stuff becomes easier if it's a sanctioned event now right I'm not a fan of sanctioning events. I'm like, so my local triathlon organization, Wide Racing, who we've talked about on this podcast a thousand times, like I love that group, but I never agreed with the situation for them to bring on the USA triathlon and become part of their sanctioned events. And I get why they did it. Like it's an insurance thing and they got a deal and basically they got paid to do it. And it's like, uh, I just think it's like you're passing on a cost to your you know, your, your riders, your cyclists, your triathletes, whenever you have to deal with the sanctioned stuff, because they're going to have to pay for whatever sanctioning body membership there is. And I just think for me, I, I actually appreciated the fact that for a long time with Y racing, I never had to worry about that. I just, if I did an Ironman, yes, I'd have to do USAT triathlon, but if I'm just doing Y racing, I just had to pay Y racing, which I liked. Yeah. Did it change their yeah. races in any way, shape, or form? Did they reformat no. anything or change any of their rules? It's just you no. just had to pay an extra a bit of money. You're just you're just paying extra. Again, you know, I there's there's probably some more hurdles for people to jump through. Sometimes I think that there is some sort of like USA Triathlon marshal to make sure no one's drafting. But for the most part, I mean, I saw I saw draft packs, you know, at Columbia River, and I'm like just disappointed. Right. And, and yeah. no one's, you know, it, it, you know, and no one is really watching that stuff too closely. Is why racing, um, responsible for all of their own officiating or does USAT send out officials to be there for the, the process of making sure that everything is abided by? Uh, I think it, I think occasionally you will see a USA triathlon official, but I think I like in my entire time of the past whatever four years that Y's been doing sanctioned races uh i've only seen it once yeah. so now it's not a lot and then so so yes then Y is responsible for um managing that and i think why racing is more concerned about their participants having a good time and their participants having uh you know excellent experience and not so worried about you know rules being followed to the t yeah. Now going back to USAT, do yep. you do you have beef with them, or have you seen good things that they've done that you like them and enjoy them? Do you think uh, that they're a necessary evil? No, I I uh, I think are they are necessary evil that that's assuming that they're evil. Well, I'm just I'm saying not, if if you think that they're bad, are they a necessary evil, or do you think that they have a good side to them as well? I think they have a great side to them. Um, my this comes from a very skewed history, right? Where it's like my background is running. I always dealt with USA track and field, which that organization I have a lot of problems with. Um, just, I think bad leadership, bad decisions, um, really not listening to people that they're supposed to be taken care of and people getting paid flat out. Like these people are just, you know, in the pocket of, you know, companies like Nike and, and I don't blame Nike at all. They're doing what's best for them. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like, ah, man, these these people that are supposed to be USA Triathlon trying to take care of our sport and lead our sport to bigger and better things um, is really, you know, these are just board members taking money and, and walk like looking the other way. I have a major problem with that. And so then going and going to triathlon and thinking like, oh, this is a great sport and having all of a sudden the race organization that I really like say, hey, we're thinking about taking on USA triathlon, you know, becoming sanctioned events. I was all about not doing that and kind of steering clear just because I've always had a bad taste in my mouth from USA track and field. So, uh, I think that that's a little bit of a skewed view and I don't want to have like a, I mean, I'm recognizing my bias. Um, I don't have anything in particular. I don't see USA triathlon causing the same problems that USA track and field has caused. Um, but at the same time, I'm still very leery of large organizations like that. So I think that if 
gravel can stay without being, you know, sanctioned and establish a couple of rules to, you know, hold that off for another couple of years, then great. But again, I think when you get into drug testing, especially like out of competition drug testing, having a sanctioned organization really ends up being a necessary evil, yeah. as you described it. Yeah. yeah. Now, just to say something nice about USA Triathlon real quick, this is a complete side note. Um, sure. I do want to thank them. They just gave or awarded the Dow Cycling or the Dow Triathlon team a pretty sizable grant for the juniors program that's going to go directly wow. towards helping a bunch of kids, which is going to be fantastic. It's going to wow. create um, a, a, a nice little opportunity for us to bring kids who would have never been able to do the sport before the opportunity to come in and, and have a lot of the cost of it offset so that they can experience the sport. And I'm super pumped about that. And that was 100% USA Triathlon and uh, Misty Wick. Misty Wick was the one who spearheaded oh, wow. that process, and she did a fantastic job. So and, kudos and to all, them for that. That's been my experience with USA Triathlon. I think that they are very eager to uh, develop the sport, in particular, like the youth part of the sport, which is unbelievable. That's what you want to see from a governing organization. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just I'm just sour and biased from tracking. <laughs> So Lance, let's say, let's fast forward five years down the road and all of a sudden USA Cycling and UCI are all sanctioned up and doing all the gravelly stuff. Is that going to change your outlook or your perspective on racing gravel bikes? Uh, only uh, only if it changes the vibe of these gravel races. I mean, there's, there's, there's such a different feel going to a gravel race than the road race. There just seems to be like, like less, I don't know how to explain it other than like less testosterone. There's yeah, like it's less family and it's, it's community oriented. Yeah. It's just like good times, yeah. good vibes. Yeah. It's good times, good vibes. Yeah. It's like, come wear your flannel. Let's have a good time. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. The racing is, is full on, but it's, it's just more, it seems to be more inclusive. Yeah. So it, as long as it, it keeps that, then yeah, I do. There is so much, things that are better about gravel than there is about road in my opinion so. so there have been a lot of correlations drawn between we'll just say back in the 90s at some point in time during the the whole like development and the growth and the, the explosion of cross-country mountain bike racing it used to be a very similar yeah. scene and then all yeah. of a sudden you're dealing with uh, a lot of people coming in and it was the, the races were getting huge and that brought money and that brought sponsors and that brought the need to kind of better organize this stuff because there was so much money involved. And then all of a sudden it's a, you know, it's a sanctioned sports, USAC, UCI and all that other fun stuff. And they just say it kind of lost. It's the cool factor, the fun vibe, the community vibe, and it's still fun. Don't get me wrong. And just like road bikes, road racing, it's still fun. It's, it just has a different vibe when all of that stuff is going down and taking place. Um, do you think that, you know, the, the history of cross-country mountain bike racing is going to be basically what gravel's looking at in its future. Uh, I don't see why it wouldn't do that. I mean, it's it's a similar vibe. I mean, it, it you know, cross-country mountain biking had this huge growth spurt, and then it kind of settled down to what it's become today. It's still very big, but it's not explosive like gravel is right now. Gravel will not continue to explode. We're getting but there are like 15 new races just this year. Yeah. It, we can't, I don't think we will, I don't think we'll continue to have this explosive growth. It will settle back to, you know, a, like the main 20 races or something instead of having, I don't know, you know dude. 60 I, or 70 I, races. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because think about it from this perspective. You've got mountain bike racing. Roadies are going to look at that and like, nah, that's not my thing. I don't I do not do the jumpy thing. I don't do the full squish. I don't do all the, the rocks and jumps and all that fun stuff. And then the, the right. mountain bikers are looking at road racing and like, no, they're too uptight. They're too elitist. And I got to go mix it up with cars. And then you have gravel, and that's like that happy medium where both sides can look at it like, hey, that's still dirt. I kind of always was intrigued by road, but I was turned off by all that other stuff. This the cool vibe there. I'm going to give that a go, and I can train there as well, and it's going to help me with my mountain bike racing. And then you got your roadies that are like, hey, that's not the mountain bike stuff that I didn't like. It's uh, it's it's dirt, and it's beautiful, and it's all these other things, and I just have to get used to riding on some uneven surfaces and whatnot. I'm going to do that because everybody says it so often. So you've got these two entities that are converging on that, and then you've got a lot 
lot of people that are looking at cycling going, hey, I want to go do that. You get to go ride out in these beautiful scenic places and everybody's talking right. fun stuff about it. So you've got all of these different feeders, these tributaries that are like diverging on this whole gravel scene. And I think it's got a lot more growth. I think the trajectory on this is like we haven't even seen like the, the, the top. I mean, we're still looking at a long, long climb for the growth of gravel racing and riding. So I kind of think that, yeah. that that's my two cents. That's my take. And I, I talk to people about bikes all the time. And bar none, gravel is the most talked about. And that's the one bike that everyone wants. And it's one bike you can't freaking get right now. But um, right. Every, everybody wants to go ride gravel bikes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. You guys have any other thoughts on this? Any, any closing thoughts on the whole gravel scene maybe? I just hope it doesn't move its vibe. I, I love it. Well, I think if you keep showing up, I think that uh, that vibe will uh, hold true, hold steady. Yeah, so that, that's my that's my thoughts too. I don't think that it's going to lose its vibe. Personally, I think it's going to still be gravel racing, and like I said, I don't think cyclocross has skipped a beat. You know, just as it as it got big a couple years back, and I don't think I think gravel racing has kind of established its culture. It won't. I don't think it'll change, but. I think I'm going to have to agree with you, Matt. I, I yeah. think that it's going to keep its uh, its swagger. I just hope that they don't necessarily find it necessary to jump right into bed with UCI and USAC. Yeah, I'd love to see okay. some sort of like a, um, I don't know, just something gravel coalition or something like that come together, and all of the states and heads of state come together and they come up with some sort of a gravel constitution and. You know, this will be what gravel racing is, and and it, it will not be bastardized by any way, shape, or form by other entities. And go ride your bike. I, I bet you that'll happen for the net, like next season, for the next couple of years, perhaps. But I don't think it'll be very long before USAT takes takes over. So USAT or USAC? Sorry, USAC. USAT. Yeah. USA Travel <laughs> Triathlon and Gravel. <laughs> <laughs> Triathlon's coming to take over, just so you guys know. Sweet. Hey, Matt, have you ever done a, uh, an Xterra, an off-road triathlon? No, but now that I have a mountain bike, I'm like kind of itching to try one. Do they do anywhere it makes more sense to ride a gravel bike than it would a mountain bike? Uh, you, you would probably say yes, because you and I don't see eye to eye on this, but I would say no, because... Um, I, I don't know. I think actually that would be an even cooler, a cooler race if it was like, yeah. you know, a, tri, a triathlon gravel. I don't know what they would call it, but like, you know, Xterra gravel. I don't know what they would call it. It would be that would be super cool. I'd be even more amped about that than, you know, some sort of Xterra mountain biking type thing. Go start it, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I need like some it. more activities in my life. All right. Well, I think we've all said our piece on this. Do you guys have anything else you want to offer? That's nope. it. Sweet. Let's move to one last thing. Matt, you can start it off. You've always got one last thing. Yeah, it's easy. I always have videos to talk about, and I posted a video today talking about some goggles, the form swim goggles, basically. Uh, They have in-goggle workouts, meaning, you know, that you have this heads-up display system with this goggle, and you can actually... Um, they just announced it where you can basically download workouts, and you can follow along a workout inside your goggles it's crazy but uh can i wear them while i ride my bike yeah you can and it'll be like power numbers hard ftp (laughs) is this go hard where does it pull its data from obviously the watch that you're probably wearing right no um actually you don't need a watch at all uh the so your phone has all the workouts on base you know from the internet or whatever and then you sync those to the actual goggles themselves and then it, all that data lives on the goggles and the goggles have an accelerometer and things like that. So they can detect when you're, you know, doing your flip turn and, and going back and forth between the lanes. So it knows how fast you're going and all this different information. Oh, that's cool. And so, yeah, it's a cool piece of that's technology. Pretty cool. Uh, I have had my problems with um, the goggles fit and some of the like leaking issues, which basically makes it kind of a, a showstopper for me. Uh, but this is another feature that they announced and, um, I am giving a pair of the goggles away in the video. You know, I do that for a lot of the videos that I make, I give away the actual product. So go get yourself some $200 pair of goggles from this video and make sure you don't leave them on the pool deck when you walk away. Cause <laughs> they are pricey. can I, can I watch YouTube videos on them? You sure can youtube.com slash M check it out. 
I think the next video I think is going to be um, 10 triathlon racing hacks. I had a, a video recently that was 10 triathlon training hacks. Uh, and so I'd like to do something similar to that. And then um, probably back to some more like watches and stuff like that. So I think you misunderstood my question, Matt. I can't upload and watch videos on, on the goggles themselves. Oh, you want to watch <laughs> oh. a video head to display yeah. while you should be swimming. I want to uh, watch Matt Legrand's video about these goggles on the goggles while I'm swimming in the water. I'd probably be drowning, but anyway, yeah. I <laughs> technically you can't, but there's got where there's a will, there's a way. You can write me some code. You can hack them. We can hack these. There we go. <laughs> hey, Lance, one last thing. Um, let's see, I'm coming home for this weekend because there are a couple races that are happening this weekend in Oregon, supposedly, uh, an, uh, a cross country mountain bike race, um, on Saturday and the first, uh, cyclocross race of the season in the state of Oregon is happening on Sunday. So hopefully these races still happening. COVID cases are spiking here. Mask mandates are being put back into effect for outdoor in Oregon, so we're, I'm hoping they still happen. Uh, otherwise, I'll just head back to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really leaving again after the race weekend? If they cancel races, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually, um, we can talk about this next week, but uh, I'm okay. doing these two races. And then I'm headed back to Idaho because I did get into Rebecca's private Idaho, and I am going to do their gravel stage race over Labor Day oh, weekend. Okay. That's like one of your yeah, favorite races. So, so. That would be it, amazing. It is, and I, I've missed it uh, a little bit in the last few years because Labor Day weekend is traditionally the opening weekend of our Obra cyclocross racing, and that's not happening this year, so I'm going back to Idaho. Cool. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I don't really have any other one last things other than I'm getting sad because the days are getting shorter, which means yeah. there's only – two more fog hat Friday social rides. So this Friday and the following Friday. And I think there's only going to be maybe three more, um, uh, flogging rides. So it's kind of sad to see that come to an end and know that we're looking down the barrel of the start of the uh, Zwift season, which is fun, but it's not riding outside. It's not going out there and mixing it up outside. So I don't know, I guess at the end of the day, I'm just a little bit sad about that and sad at the fact that I kind of tweaked my shoulder a little bit this morning, which kind of sucks. So I'm hoping that when I wake up tomorrow, it feels a little bit better. It is what it is. All right, Lance, we're going to let you get back in the car so you can finish your drive home. How much further you got? I got three more hours. I'm going to make it home by midnight. Sweet. (laughs) You'll be home tomorrow, huh? Cool. All right, Matt, I will catch you later too. Lance, you drive safe. You guys have anything else you want to say? Thanks for doing Love this. Thanks for, thanks for everything, guys. All right. Thanks for the late one, y'all. And we'll uh, we'll catch up with you guys later. For everybody listening, we really do greatly appreciate it. Until next week, bye for now. Bye.